Hello, Story Church. How are you doing? I'm Giovanna, one of the pastors here at The Story. I want to welcome all of you, especially if you're visiting us for the first time. And I do want to welcome our online viewers. That's the first time I've gotten to say that. I'm so excited. Welcome, online viewers. The more that uh, my kids edge into their teenage years, the more I've started to remember my own teenage years. And I have the whole youth group right here in front of me. (laughs) This is going to be a great sermon, y'all. It is safe to say that I was an average teen. You know, one in full independence. Well, we independent on my parents for everything. I uh, used to like Bowie bands. And, uh, you know, I liked them from all over the world. I liked some from North America, some from Latin America. I liked New Kids on the Block. I liked Menudo, right? I liked Michael J. Fox. I liked Michael J. Fox. My whole room was like a shrine to Michael J. Fox for like a couple of years. My parents were like, you need to really let this go. Also, I am forever grateful that I uh, became a teenager in the 90s instead of the 80s. That's the only way my hair survived the 80s trends, (laughs) y'all. Still, I had to... Some of you kids don't know about this. This is what my generation used to do. Uh, Still, I had to resist my mom's urges to coif my hair and to spray a whole bottle of hairspray. Anytime we had a wedding or a special event, I used to be like, I need to hide, keep my my hair safe from my mom. I also remember my parents' advice, some of which used to trigger the most insane reactions out of me. Uh, just seeing them getting ready to give me advice used to just make me mad. And I used to think, when I become a mom of teenagers, I'm going to do this so much better. You just don't get me. But now that I'm so close to having teens, I've become self-aware, and I've realized that I'm just not going to do a better job. I'll be lucky enough if I end up doing a good job as my parents did. And I'm, you know, I'm the result, so I'm not sure if that's a good job. But as much as I don't like to admit it, uh, I might end up using even my parents' advice on my own children. And that's doubly humiliating for me today, guys, to even say that. I used to actually appreciate some of their advice. They used to say, you need to be kind, you need to work hard, you need to, um, you know, you need to just be diligent, and that part was good. But any time that they gave me one piece of advice, it would always come accompanied by, you need to learn how to trust God more. Yeah, that was really hard advice for me to hear because I could barely trust my parents. And I think it's because most of us are wired just naturally wired to not trust in God first. We're wired to trust in ourselves first, in our own strength to overcome things, in our own strength to make it happen, to solve our problems. We just want to trust in ourselves. 
If there are any perfectionists out there in this room, like myself or like somebody who likes to be in the driver's seat, you know that you don't like to relinquish control very much because when you relinquish control, you, especially when you relinquish control to God, you might end up getting something that you don't really want to get. Uh, you, might want, you might want something that you will never get. Also, I don't know about you, but most times I do whatever it takes to avoid struggle and pain. And I also have realized that my desires and my wants are such strong drivers that I will easily ignore God's voice in order to get the things I want. Yet trusting in God requires surrender. It requires humility. It requires stubborn people like myself to come to a place where we admit that we are not in control. This is what author Jerry Bridges writes. He says, trust is not a passive state of mind. It is a, it is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. I think it's safe to say that for a few years now, the vigorous act of my own soul has been a daily decision to put God first before anything and anyone. And to admit to myself that God's ways are better than mine. And I want to make it clear, this hasn't always been the case. I actually became a Christian early, early on when I was 14 years old. And for many, many years, I know that I believed in God. I just didn't trust in God. For many years, I really actually even said that I loved God. But I didn't want to let go of the control. I, I, I didn't want to surrender fully to let him do his will with my life. And it is safe to say that during those years, um, struggle seemed to be unfair. Struggle seemed to be something I really didn't deserve. But the more and more that I began to trust God, the more and more even the times of struggle appear to be a blessing. And um, through that journey, God taught me that there is a greater vision for my life. There's something greater that I'm living for. There's something different that he wants from, from me, that his timing is not my timing, that I need to learn to surrender. And the more I became a person who trusted God, the more passages in the Bible that are about trust became clearer to me. I, I began to understand them, like Proverbs chapter 3. This is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. If there's anything I'm hoping that we remember together today is that humility and surrender to God is the foundation of trust. And when we finally get to that place in which we're able to say, your will be done, not mine. We finally get to that place in which we're able to say, God, I love you and I trust you. When we finally get to the place in which we no longer are doing things to uh, control our own future, 
It's the time whenever God will grab a hold of our lives and will never leave us the same. Our character will be shaped. And even during the times when we're going through something very difficult, through something that we don't seem to be able to get through, even during those, God will even use those times to make us people of integrity. That's the reason why a lot of people say that integrity is who we are when no one but, but God is watching us, right? Now, there is one character in the Bible that I really identify myself with. I really love the story of Joseph. And I love the story of Joseph because he shows an extraordinary level of trust in God. Joseph's life is not easy. Joseph's life is full of pain, of abandonment, of anguish. He's enslaved, he's imprisoned, yet he shows us something different. He shows us that there's a difference between having faith in God and trusting God. And I would read the whole story to you. It's a very long story. It's kind of a lot of passages. But instead of doing that, I want to just give you the highlights. Um, if you grew up in church, you probably grew up here in the story of Joseph. So you probably know a lot more than I'm going to say. That's great. If you've never heard this story, these are the highlights. I just want to let you know. So Jacob finally has... Uh, Joseph is the result of the marriage between Jacob and uh, Rachel. Rachel is the love of his life. He loved her, and they waited a long time to have a baby together, and Joseph is their baby. So Joseph is born, and his father loves him from, like, he's his father's favorite from the get-go. He gives Joseph a lot more attention than his brothers, and his brothers become extremely jealous of Joseph. One day, in a move that I wouldn't say is a very wise move, Jacob decides to give Joseph a gift. This, he makes him this beautiful robe of multiple colors, and Joseph, being a naive kid that he is, decides to go and show off this robe to his brothers. But he adds the bonus of telling the brothers that God had given him a dream the night before in which they were bowing down to him as though he was their king. As you can imagine, the brothers didn't like that at all. They were already jealous. They were already uh, disliking Joseph because of his father's favoritism. So they decide to kill him. And one of their brothers uh, decides to advocate for Joseph. And instead of killing him, he says, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him as a slave. That's a lot better, right? So they sell him. Joseph is given to a caravan of people who sell and buy slaves. And eventually, Joseph makes it to uh, the house of a wealthy Egyptian named Potiphar. Whenever he's in this house, we start seeing the miraculous intervention of God in the life of Joseph. Because even though he's a slave, Potiphar notices that he's a very capable man and um, puts him in charge of his entire household. In Genesis chapter 39, it tells us that God blessed Potiphar's house abundantly because Joseph was there. So I imagine that even though he was a slave, he still had a decent life. That is until Potiphar's wife decides that Joseph is hot and she wants a piece of him. <laughs> you weren't expecting that one, right? Boom. <laughs> 
Ladies in the room, I'm going to say this right now. I worked very hard to find a picture of Joseph, of Chris Pat, Pratt as Joseph. I just couldn't. <laughs> I apologize for this. Chris Pratt is my new Michael J. Fox, by the way. <laughs> Pastor Eric is loving this sermon. I know it. So this is what Genesis 39, 6 says. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused, saying, How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And she continued to stalk him, to find him wherever he went. And in the Bible, it actually tells us that, she, that he avoided being anywhere where she was present. So his refusal threw her over the edge, and he deci she decided to accuse him of rape. When he's accused of rape, Potiphar becomes enraged and sends him to prison. And he doesn't just send him to a regular cell. Potiphar is so enraged at Joseph that he decides to send uh, Joseph to maximum security prison where the Pharaoh's enemies were kept. Uh, this place is described as a dungeon. In Genesis 41, it says that when Pharaoh asked uh, to, Joseph to be brought to him uh, to interpret his dreams, that he was brought, literally brought out out of a dungeon. Yet even during those trials, even during the imprisonment, God is still faithful to Joseph, and Joseph is still faithful to God. Even in prison, while he's there, the warden notices that Joseph is a capable man and puts him in charge not only of the prison, but also of the prisoners. And uh, it says in the passage in, in Genesis uh, 39, it says that the warden paid no attention to anything anymore. So basically, Joseph made him lazy. And Joseph took care of everything. And God blessed and gave him success in whatever he did. That's what it says. In another twist, one of the prisoners that was with Joseph in that maximum security cell or dungeon gets out of prison and tells Pharaoh that Joseph is a wise man and can interpret his dreams. So they bring Joseph out. Joseph interprets both of Pharaoh's dreams. The first dream is that a great time of plentiful harvest is coming for seven years. They should harvest everything because there's another seven years of famine that's coming right after that. So the Pharaoh is like amazed at seeing at Joseph interpret his dreams. And he says, truly, there is no wiser man, no more noble man that could, can come and help us during this time of famine. So he appoints Joseph as second in command in all of Egypt. Then the famine takes effect, and it affects not only Egypt, but an entire region, and it affects the region where Joseph's family lives. So the brothers are forced to go out and to look for food, and they decide to make it to Egypt. When they get to Egypt, Joseph, Joseph immediately recognizes him, the, the brothers. And he tests them. He, he, does a, he, he plays with them because he really wants to discover if their character has really been shaped through all of that those years when he, when they sold him, after they sold him as a slave. Then the famine continues, and this is my favorite part. This is the part of Joseph's story that I want us to center on today. 
Because this is the part when we discover the incredible man of God that he has become. The ways in which God has shaped his character during the hardest times of his life. It starts in Genesis chapter 45, and I want us to read together. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself, and he cries out. He weeps so loudly that the Egyptians hear him. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me because it was to save the lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve the remnant on the earth and to, sell, to save your lives by a great deliverance. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept and kissed all his brothers and wept over them. What I like about the story of Joseph is not the great success story part. What I like about his story is not the happy ending or how powerful he becomes or how much uh, he receives. What I admire about Joseph every time I read this story is the way in which he behaves towards God even when his life is literally falling apart. Joseph spent the majority of his life, his childhood, his adolescence, his youth, experiencing great pain, great suffering, abandonment. Yet he is able to resist temptation, to honor God, to be shaped into a man that is respected, that is honorable, that is put in charge of some of the highest offices because he is a godly man. God shapes his character and makes him a man of integrity. That's my favorite part of his story. It dawned on me that Joseph could have easily blamed God for allowing his brothers to sell him as a slave and said, God is an unfair God. How could he let this happen to me? He could have easily looked at how much everyone else had around him, about how rich Potiphar was, and wished for those things. And he could have wanted more. And he could have focused on the things of this world and forgotten all about the dreams that God gave him. He could have entered into despair and given up on life and say, I'm nothing more than a slave and a prisoner. And the part that gets me the most is that he could have exerted the, the most cruel revenge on his brothers. The minute he saw them coming into Egypt, he could have grabbed his brothers, put them into prison, or saved them as slaves. And he could have said, now you are going to suffer. But instead of revenge, he shows mercy, kindness. He protects them. He embraces them. He weeps. He shows them that regardless of how hard his life has been, God has shaped him into an unbelievable, incredible man of God. 
His complete trust and dependence on God helped him to not only bring great deliverance to his family, but to the entire kingdom. A few weeks ago, I um, was driving to get my kids from school, and one thing that I do all the time is I listen to KSBJ Christian Radio over and over again all day long. My family hates it. Eric definitely doesn't like that about me. I still do it. <laughs> and this specific afternoon, we got a little treat. Uh, this lady came for an interview. Her name is Sarah. And I think it was kind of a last-minute interview, and the, the people interviewing her said, how is, how is cancer going? Like, what's going on? What's your latest news with the treatments and everything? And with the sweetest voice, I, Lord, I am not that sweet. I can't even produce that voice. But she said, oh, cancer has been the greatest blessing. And I'm like, this lady is definitely crazy. I'm pulled over, turned it up, and I'm all ears, late to get my kids. It didn't matter. I'm waiting to see what she says. And I got to say, it was the most powerful testimony I have ever heard. Um, she said that she feels more peace than she has ever felt in her entire life. And that she feels more embraced by God than she has ever felt in her entire life. And that she wishes she would have trusted God more before so she could feel what she feels now. I'm bawling my eyes when I'm listening to this interview. And I'm quoting her here because I also pulled my laptop up to start taking notes on what she was saying. And this is what she said. She said, if Jesus is the legacy I leave behind, then who cares about death? It made me realize that she could have, that like Joseph, you know, she could have blamed God for her disease. She could have said, God, you're unfair. Why am I suffering? Why are you giving me this disease? Why am I having to go through all these treatments, the cost, the pain? She, had, she could have become despondent and angry at God. But instead, she showed us a glimpse of something greater, of a greater vision. She showed us that we're created, created for something more. She showed us that the same God who had loved her so well in this life would be with her no matter what. It was truly transformational for me to hear her speak, to get a glimpse of what we often forget when we just say that we believe in God, but we don't really trust in God. My story has also taken me to some interesting places. The reason I like Joseph so much is because I have also experienced a lot of abandonment, pain, suffering. I've been in situations that are just scary without enough money, food, place to stay. And the other day I was thinking, would I change any of that if I had the chance to do so? And the answer is definitely no. 
Because those were the times when I was closest to God. Those were the times when I got to know him so well and I felt so loved. And I realized that that love would never let me go, would never abandon me. And no matter what I was going through, that love would see me through. Those are the moments when I started trusting that there is something greater that we should cling to other than our own power to control things, to, to forge our own destiny, to, to do things in our timing. There's something greater that's at work here that we ought to surrender to. In a moment, we are about to, to take communion. And communion is something that we do here at The Story every single Sunday because it is a centering time. It's a time in which we remember what truly matters. We say a beautiful prayer that Jesus taught us, the Lord's Prayer. And one of the lines in this prayer is, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is the greater, greatest example of what it means to trust in God. Because Jesus could have easily come and enjoyed the things that this world affords. He could have easily come with great majesty uh, to rule over us. He could have easily come as a king, as, some, as someone who who has great glory and honor and respect, yet he chose to come as a carpenter. He chose to come and suffer and understand our own journey. He come to understand what it is to be us. And during that journey, God led him to the cross. And he surrendered to the point of death on that cross. And it is because of Jesus that we know Redemption today. Jesus trusted God all the way to the cross because there was a greater purpose, a greater plan in store. So if you've been in a place of faith but not trust, when Pastor Eric leads us in communion in a second, I hope that when you say those words, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you start the process of surrendering everything before the one who made us. Before the only one who understands, who truly understands us. Before the only one who truly knows what's best for us. I hope that when we say those words, we will begin that process of putting everything in God's hands so that he can show us his true purpose for our lives. So he can show us that we were created for more. And that he can use us as instruments of his glory in this world. I hope that that discipline, whatever it may be, become a daily thing to you, for you. And I hope that soon, soon you'll be in a place where you can say, I trust you, God, with everything. Let us go to God in prayer and prepare our hearts for a time of communion. God, we're thankful for the miracle that it is that you came down to earth to give yourself for us through Jesus. I thank you today because you're trying to move us from a place of just believing in you to trusting in you, to letting you take over, to letting you guide us 
and shape us and mold us according to your will and not ours. Thank you for giving us Jesus as our ultimate example of what it means to surrender. Help that process to start in our hearts today. We want to give it all to you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.